0: The mind, by nature, is radiant and pure, the Buddha said. It is shining. It is because of visiting forces known as defilements that we suffer. So as you recall your experiences today in these experiments and awareness that we're undertaking, how have you distressed yourself? Or how have you noticed that you've been distressed or ill at ease or stressed or uncomfortable? Maybe with a sense of struggle or frustration or disappointment or or self-criticism. Maybe you've been irritated at other yogis in the hall or outside. Or maybe you've been worrying about things that are going on at home or not going on at home. Um concerned about other things outside of the retreat. All of these experiences of distress, as minor as they are, or as major as they seemed, the Buddha said, are caused by a force visiting the mind. The other night I spoke about having the view of, or the understanding of experience that leads to suffering, or having the view or understanding of things that leads to not suffering. It's up to the one who suffers to really work through their views, really, to arrive at the view where they don't suffer. So, of all the things that you thought about today or the things that can't come to torment your mind, how can we understand them so that we don't suffer? So that we don't get anxious and fearful and fretful and stressed. And Because the Buddha said, it is because of these visitors to the mind that cause us to understand things wrongly. Therefore we suffer. We know perfectly well that, yes, of course, we're going to act in the world to address the sources and the causes and the proximate conditions for our distress. But, as we know, a lot of times it's not up to us. Conditions are given or they're set in place by forces outside of our control, and we just receive them. What can we then do when we can't change the conditions coming at us or that we have to deal with? We can only work with our own mind. We can do what we can to address conditions. But primarily it's working with our own mind that is going to... (coughs) change our understanding, or where we work through the wrong understanding that causes us to suffer, and arrive at a skillful understanding where we experience the same conditions coming at us, or living with those same conditions, but that we don't suffer. So tonight I want to speak about these forces known as Kelesas translated as torments, defilements, obscurations, obstructions, problems, (laughs) so that we can begin to recognize them in our practice and to the extent that we learn to recognize them, understand them, deal with them, work with them, work through them, in practice, those skills, those understandings, those tools are helpful, will be helpful, when we meet conditions in our life. Our civic, social, professional, personal, family, domestic lives have all kinds of conditions to provoke (coughs) stress and distress. So how should we understand these tormenting visitors to the mind? Well, first... we should see that we have reactive habits of mind we get upset we get fearful we get stressed we get anxious <coughs> we get we blame and these mental states are often so deeply conditioned from way back there that they seem to be natural. They seem to be who we are. They seem to be a part and parcel of how life is lived. And it does no—it does us no favor to say, well, everyone experiences them. It's true, everyone does, and everyone suffers with them. Each one of us has to see for ourselves that suffering and decide what to do with it. But these... Habitual, reactive states of mind are thoughts, feelings, emotions, moods, beliefs, assumptions that get triggered by conditions, mostly or often unpleasant conditions. And the interesting thing about them from the Buddha's Understanding or analysis is they are all fueled by restlessness. Now, restlessness in this, in the use of the word in this instance, means aimless thinking. The mind that is just ruminating aimlessly over some topic or some incident or some memory, and that restlessness just gets, just proliferates all kinds of wrong or unskillful understanding about the situation leading to suffering. They are also always accompanied by some form of ignorance or delusion. It's because we don't see and understand things correctly that we proliferate these thoughts that cause us so much distress. If we understood things correctly, meaning in a way that doesn't cause suffering, we wouldn't think that way about these conditions. Sometimes, of course, this ignorance or confusion, delusion, is accompanied by attachment. We want something, we crave something, we yearn for something, we long for something, a person, an experience, a thing, taste, a flavor, a sight, a sound, a recognition, an accomplishment, an ambition, something, anything. And when we yearn for, want, crave something, we are blinded. Craving in the mind has this capacity to blind us in a particular way. When craving arises in the mind and we look at the object of our craving all we see is the pleasant aspect of that object. We cannot see the unpleasant aspects of that object when craving is in the mind. But let the mind change after a day or two, or a week, a month, and aversion enters the mind, and we look at that same object, that car, that person, that achievement, whatever, and all we can see is the unpleasant aspects of that object. It's not that the object is all-pleasant or all-unpleasant. It's that when craving is in the mind, we see the pleasant. When aversion is in the mind, we see the unpleasant. And so we could say that in either case, we're not seeing things clearly. We're not understanding this this person or this incident or this experience fully. We're seeing it from a lopsided or a one-sided view. These torments, these habits, arise so frequently in our experience, and we have become accustomed to them. We accept them. We have... Somebody was... I don't remember if it was in a group today or whatever. You know, if we experience something frequently, we begin to assume... We're always like that. I myself have frequently experienced impatience. I like to say, or I don't like to say, I, I, I taunting, taunt myself with saying, I was not born with the patience gene. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It's like, not there, can't be developed, never, never, never see it. So, impatience is a frequent visitor to the mind In fact, it's so frequent, I'm in the habit of saying, I'm always impatient. And it's just a slippery slope from I'm impatient a lot to I'm always impatient to I'm an impatient person. And what we do with this momentary perception of impermanence, of impatience in this case, is we don't see impermanence. We eternalize it into, as if it's, Always there. And not only is it always there, we reify it into a character trait. Like, this is really who I am. I am an impatient person. Once we have that belief in the mind, or that assumption in the mind, and we haven't looked carefully at how impermanent impatience really is, it becomes so solid and so frequent that we just accept it. We just accept impatience without seeing how much suffering it causes. And impatience is pretty benign. I mean, it's not benign, it's it's torture. But just look at your own. Fear, anxiety, blaming, frustration, depression, despair. Same thing. We get kind of Caught in this assumptions, these assumptions of the mind that if something arises frequently, we eternalize it into, I'm always like that. <coughs> I'm always afraid. I'm always anxious. And then we solidify, reify a sense of self around it. And then we've got this baggage, we've got this armor of, we're encased in this assumed belief that this is how I am. It's not just a and so then when it, when an experience of, in my case, impatience arises, it's not just a moment of impatience to be noticed, endured, tolerated, put aside, it's like my whole personality, my whole character has got has gotten into play. It's a lot more challenging to deal with your whole character, your whole personality, than just a momentary arising of a visitor to the mind. So we get identified with them, we appropriate them as mind, and they, they really obstruct our ability to practice when we meet them here, and they hinder our ability to live a life fully. Just think of how often, and I'm not saying this is your particular trait, how often fear has prevented you from living your life fully. Social fear, emotional fear, physical fear, fear of physical discomfort, fear of emotional discomfort, fear of social discomfort. And we just say, I'm not going there. And so we just cut off. We don't even explore areas of our mind, areas of our heart, Areas of experiences in life because of fear. So these torments not only torment us directly, they torment us indirectly by shutting down our life. We don't even go there. And after one, two, three, four, five, six, sometimes seven decades of life, you forget all about it. It's like... You, you know you don't go there until you start practice or until your practice is, uh, has enough momentum to kind of peel away the layers of resistance, avoidance, aversion, you know, kind of fear, entanglement and see, again, what you put aside when you were 4 years old, 7 years old, 13 years old, 23 years old. And you get to see at that age what this feels like. It's a good thing two year olds are so small. (laughs) Because if they were big, like, you know, and they were acting out their emotional lives, (laughs) we'd be tormented. But we should also understand that these torments that arise in the mind are not a mistake. There's not something wrong with us. We haven't done something wrong. They arise due to causes and conditions. They are a part of nature. Just like plants grow in the forest when the conditions are right. Same in the mind. When the conditions are right, these torments sprout and we get to work with them. So they are a natural phenomena. They're part of the Dharma, if you will, the way things are, or the way things have come to be. And as such, they are not an obstacle to awakening, but they're an opportunity. Because with awareness, we can see them, we can begin to recognize them. And with insight, we can begin to understand them. And this is the way to work with them. The danger, of course, is that these torments cause us to suffer. But, let's face it, we accept suffering. In fact, sometimes we choose suffering. Have you ever had the, you know, been in a conversation, sometimes called an argument, (laughs) where you have a choice? You can either hang on to your view and opinion and insist that you're right, or you can say, you know what, it really doesn't matter, and let go. And if you let go, if you can really let go, you stop suffering. But if you can't really let go, and you hang on to your view and your opinion, you choose to suffer. We do this a lot. I mean, I'm not the only one, right? I mean, <laughs> we do. We, we see the oppor- We don't see it as an opportunity to stop suffering. We only feel it as, I'm right. Well, if we look closely at, well, what, is, what does that mean, really? Well, it means that I'm willing to hang on to this view and opinion even if it causes me, as someone once said, rope burn. (laughs) You know, you hang on while somebody's pulling that opinion out from under you and it hurts. It is as if... Oh, when I said that all of these torments of the mind are accompanied by some form of ignorance or some form of delusion, I want to point to what I mean. I mentioned it this morning or last night. We sit down, we have every intention, and we do our best to be aware. And in spite of our good intentions and all of our practice, the mind Still has a mind of its own. And it just goes off into la-la land. And when it's off in la-la land, we don't know it. We don't know what we're thinking about. We don't know where we are. We don't know if we like it or don't like it. We're lost. We're just not even there. When awareness dawns again, and we see that we've been lost in thought, sometimes we can recognize the whole train of thought that just went by. That is being so in the dark. Ignorance blinds us to what we're even experiencing. How, but, but we know that those thoughts that kind of run in the on, in the subterranean section of the mind, they influence how we act, how we perceive the world, how we act in the world. And if we don't see them, we'll be acting them out as soon as the condition's right really pretty dangerous. Because we don't even see our mind thinking in this way. It's just that it erupts in action by speaking and acting as soon as conditions are right. But sometimes we have, you know, more or less some awareness, as, as I was mentioning about when we, have, when we see something that we like. We see the object. We see the car. We see the house. We see the... Tool, we see the book, we see the dessert, we see whatever it is we want, and we think, Yeah, I need that. (laughs) I want that. Even when we know somewhere in the back of our mind, it's not going to be satisfying. And yet we're so blinded by the desire, we're deluded by it. It is as if this kind of delusion enchants the mind. Now, to be enchanted means you're kind of in this gooey kind of land where you're just willing to kind of not look too close and just kind of be enchanted. Right? You know, it's like, it's kind of a dreamlike fantasy land that's... Yeah, yeah, it's kind of nice, like that. (laughs) You go to a good movie and you get lost in it, you're enchanted by it, right? You're not noticing that it's a movie, you're totally lost in the story. Okay. So the mind is telling you this story about something. You're totally enchanted by it. Mm -hmm. Mindful awareness is very disenchanting. Now, wait a minute. Usually, when we think of being disenchanted, it's kind of like an unpleasant, you know, I'm disenchanted with that person. I'm disenchanted with this. You know, career, I'm disenchanted, and we kind of think, oh, that's a bummer, that's too bad. But actually, being disenchanted is really good, right? You come out of this enchantment, you come out of this delusion into reality, and you see, wait a minute, I've been living a, a dream life here, enchanted by these phantasmagorical stories in my mind. And when we come out of it, you know, we kind of land in reality with our feet on the ground and we see things as they are. That practice or that process of mindful awareness is like a searchlight casting for faults in the clouds of delusion. So, let's face it, we see these torments in our life a lot. Sometimes we just act them out. We don't. We don't stop to think about it. We don't exercise any restraint. We just get, you know, get angry and we blur. You know, and the other person catches it, and we feel a moment of relief. I got rid of my anger. Now they got it. Or I got rid of my blame. Now they got it. I get rid of my desire. Now they're. Now they're getting it. Or whatever. My fear, I've dumped it on them. Okay. When we act out uh, these torments, often we don't see them. We don't know that they're dangerous. We don't have any second thoughts. We do it with a lot of energy and often with a lot of joy. We like to blame people. We like, you know, it's like get this off my shoulders, it's your fault. Or desire. desires often pursued with a lot of joy. You know, I want what I want, because I want it. I'm going to get it. I'm going to have it. Whether it is chocolate pie or worse. <laughs> Better, I mean. The Buddha taught the practice of sila, or the precepts, really, as a way of beginning to tame this level of torment because if we if we take the, if we take the precepts as a practice we're not going to harm we're not going to take things that aren't ours we're not going to act out our sexual energy in a way that causes harm we're not going to speak in a way that causes harm we're not going to use intoxicants that cause harm to ourselves or others and so we're exercising considerable restraint now most of us most of us are pretty good people hello you know it's not like we're that bad but nevertheless, I'm sure you've all seen how carelessness in any of these fields of activity in life cause a tremendous amount of suffering. All you have to do is look at the newspaper, the front page of the newspaper. It is a catalogue of these torments being acted out blindly in the world. That's it. And you can see how much suffering it causes. If we're able to exercise some restraint kind of think before acting. Sometimes we can still be obsessed in the mind. We can want to say, we can want to do, we can want to, or we feel tormented in the mind, emotionally. We're not acting it out, we're not blaming, we're not saying anything, we're not pursuing, but we're still feeling in the mind. Torturous. And a lot of practice is just like this. We're not acting out, but we're aware of what's going on in the mind. And the mind is tormenting us. We're just worried sick, we're anxious, we're fretful, we're fearful, depressed, whatever. The Buddha taught to to develop awareness of the way things are in the moment. Because to be aware of one of these torments is very different than to be entangled in the torment. So, to be angry, to think about your anger, and to be aware that anger has arisen, are three very, very different experiences. In every case, anger is present. But in the first case, you don't know it, you have no restraint, and you're acting it out. You're just angry. In the second case, You're thinking about it, you're just ruminating and the mind is just spinning the story over and over again of why you're angry, why you should be angry, why you're justified to be angry, what you're going to do about it, what they shouldn't have done about it. And in the third case, anger has arisen, you see it, you feel it, and there's an awareness of it. That awareness itself exercises a a tremendous amount of restraint. And if we observe it with interest, we can begin to understand the nature of anger, or the nature of fear, or the nature of blame, whatever has arisen. And it is this understanding which exercises the... Um, not just restraint, it's it's restraint through wisdom rather than restraint through intention. Big difference. Still, nevertheless, even with mindful awareness when these arise the potential to react or get caught in these states of mind rest still resides in the mind it's like little mind bombs you know like not like landmines but like mind bombs they're just kind of waiting for you to step on them you know carelessly or to kind of pick them up carelessly and then they explode and we're caught in a torment it is the practicing of insight that arrests them, or kind of identifies them. And it's the development of deep and liberating wisdom that uproots them from the mind. You know the, the mind sweepers that go through these war-torn countries after the war is over, and identify all the minds and pull them up and deactivate them? That's what insight does. It goes through the mind, sweeps the mind of all the potential for these mind bombs to explode, identifies them and deactivates them. So, how do we work with these mind bombs, these torments in our mind? Because so much of our practice, really, is working with them. You know, if we're only practicing and looking for the, what, joy and peace and tranquility of good good awareness, we're going to miss a lot. <laughs> There's a lot more going on than that. And so when we're not yet at this peace and joy, and tranquility, equanimity and bliss of, you know, uh, a kind of a untormented life, then we have to deal... Other than that, we have to deal with torments. And the first step, really, is learning to identify them. We can name them: fear, joy, fear, anxiety, depression, disdain, frustration, disappointment. You know, the en- the list is almost endless. You know, in the text or in one of the commentaries, they say there's over a thousand. <laughs> Bugger. <laughs> but the big three are some form of attachment, aversion, or delusion. So, if you want to, if you want to work with three. Attachment, aversion, delusion, in all of their manifestations. Now, the interesting thing is, I, I can say the word fear. And everybody knows what fear means. But do you recognize it in your own experience? I can say disdain. You know what that is. Do you recognize it when it appears in the mind? We have a disdain. Or frustration. Do we recognize it? Sometimes, but often not. And that's the problem. We're so used to them that we don't consider them as dangerous as they really are. And -hmm. so we just gloss over it and we just accept. Okay, I'm frustrated today. I'm disappointed today. I'm, you know, feeling anxious today, or whatever. When in fact, to accept them like that, kind of casually as... Well, means to willingly accept suffering and to not really activate our aspiration to be free of suffering, to not choose to work with them in a way that can free us from suffering. So learning to recognize these um, torments of the mind is actually quite difficult to recognize them. Because... Today, we experience lots of them. But we just kind of struggle with them. We, tw- we struggle with them to try to get rid of them. We're experiencing them, but we're not aware of them. I know I said that something like that last night. Uh, oftentimes, I remember when I was... I remember when I was doing the first three-month course years ago. Many years ago. <laughs> decades ago. I was caught in uh, a pattern of sleepiness, dullness, at a certain time of day. Every day. And even though I was talking about it with my teachers and trying to get some advice and all the suggestions of working with sleepiness, I never really, never really engaged it with mindful awareness. I was just trying to get rid of it. You know, I just wanted something you know, stand up, open your eyes, pull your earlobes, massage your brain, do do whatever you got to do, <laughs> do something to get rid of it, rather than actually acknowledge it, engage it with awareness, and feel it. And this is this is the direction of, of real practice, is to acknowledge and begin to engage it. So the first the first task is to recognize what has arisen, and the second is really to. I say to relax around it, meaning stop struggling with it. And in that stopping of struggling, accept it. Now, that's hard to do. It's not just accept that it has arisen, it's accept that it has arisen in your heart, in your mind. That's what's hard. It's like, because the tendency is to say, I'm afraid. I'm depressed. I'm vulnerable. I'm ashamed. I'm unforgivable. And the mind is quite well. Our habit is to be quite indulgent and stuff like that, and feel like crap. We're used to that, but that's suffering. That's a form of suffering. And if we if we really don't want to suffer in that way, then we have to identify and engage. These states of mind with a little bit of distance, a little bit of not cutting off from it, not minimizing it, not denying it, not avoiding it, but also not just indulging in it. So there's a, there's a movement towards really accepting the fact this is what's going on here and not just struggling with it, but it's something like being willing to be intimate with are you willing to be intimate with fear? Are you feeling of fear? Are you willing to be intimate with the feeling of shame? Are you willing to be intimate with this feeling of impatience? That's what I mean to relax. And until, we can, until we can say, yes, uh, I'm, all right, I'm ready. I'm ready to engage this. I'm not just struggling to get rid of it. I really want to understand it and I'm willing to feel it. That's the second step. We're learning how to relax. Now Utejaniya puts it this way, he says, The mind is not yours, but you're responsible for it. Hmm. Meaning we don't often get to choose what arises in the mind. It's just deeply conditioned habits, things get buttons get pushed, poof, stuff arises, seemingly from no choice of ours. So it's it's not our mind. It's just But once it arises, we've got to deal with it. Because if we don't deal with it, we're just going to act it out, spread it around, make trouble for other people. More trouble for ourselves and trouble for other people. So it's important to remember this, that to struggle with any of these torments of the mind is to strengthen them. To struggle with them is to strengthen them. only feeds them. So to relax, to recognize and accept that this, is as, this has arisen is the beginning of work. learning to work with them skillfully. With that, once we've recognized and we've relaxed and we've kind of accepted the fact that, okay, here it is, full-blown, okay, I was going to say, we're wallowing. Not yet with full awareness, but we're wallowing. With recognition, at least, then we need to exercise some restraint because the tendency is to just act them out. Whether it's sleepiness, go take a nap, it's desire, try to satisfy it, anger, kind of blurt it out, sign the note meta, Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, or depression, you know, confirm it, go get your script. And I'm not to say that. There's never a good time to do those things. There is. I mean, sometimes it's so overwhelming. You do what you can to handle the immediate situation and be willing to work with it. Exercising restraint in acting out. So we're not just blindly kind of um, stumbling to get away from these experiences, but we're exercising some restraint Picking and choosing the wise way to relate to them. And sometimes it's speaking about it with another. Sometimes it's getting a script. Sometimes it's... Uh, I was going to say act, acting out skillfully. You know, choosing the right time. A way to... Not acting out in the heat of it, but to act it out or to express it in a, a more skillful way. So, when we're able to do that, we're not just kind of strengthening these torments. Then we need to understand that this torment is not an obstacle to our happiness. It's not an obstacle to our practice. It's not an obstacle to our life. It's not an obstacle to happiness. It's an opportunity (coughs) that we need to take advantage of. So we reframe our understanding from... I am an impatient person, to, oh, impatience has arisen and is being known. And what we're experiencing is not so much my impatience, my anger, my fear, my depression. We're experiencing the nature of fear, the nature of depression, the nature of anger, the nature of blame, the nature of vulnerability. Because... I was going to say we all experience it the same way. Let's say we all experience all of these states of mind. There isn't any one of us that hasn't experienced fear or jealousy or envy or anger, irritation, impatience. We all experience it. It's very, uh, univer- it's universal in that way. It's also quite generic. How it feels and how, what it does to the mind, the kind of thinking that is Conditioned by these states of mind, pretty pretty familiar. When I'm talking about my kind of thinking, when I'm angry, you'd all recognize, oh, that's angry thinking, or that's jealous thinking, or that's envious thinking. So it's it's not like it's unique to us, but it's generic, and we can understand that oh, this is the nature of anger when a when any of these torments arise in the mind, they cause the mind to act in a certain way. And we can learn that. We can learn about that way. And when we understand that, when we reframe our misunderstanding, we're beginning to change our view about these torments. Again, Sayadaw Tejaniya says, try to recognize that these torments are simply, they're tormenting. They're not your torment. Every time you identify yourself with them or reject them, you're only increasing their strength. The wandering mind is not the problem. Your attitude that it should not be wandering, that's the problem. The object is not really important, but how you observe it or how you understand it is. Thoughts are just thoughts, feelings are just feelings. Yogis make the mistake of expecting, or hoping for, good experience rather than being willing to and trying to work with these torments. I have a question for you. So, weeks ago, months ago, you saw that this retreat was going to be offered now, and you signed up. When you thought about coming to the retreat, how did you imagine the retreat would be? Oh, I'm going to go back to Cloud Mountain, nice, quiet in the forest. God, it would be nice to be back. It's so peaceful and quiet, and just kind of relax and kind of chill out for a while. Or did you think, good, nine days in the forest to really confront all these torments that are bugging the... out of me? And I'm going to engage those things fully, 24-7 for nine full days. (laughs) Right, I thought so. Okay. So we recognize these torments in our own experience. We've relaxed, we've accepted the fact that they've arisen. We've exercised some restraint to not just kind of act them out carelessly, adventitiously, and we've reframed our understanding. This is not the obstacle that it appears to be, but it's an opportunity to learn something about ourselves. Then awareness. The task of awareness is to observe these torments. And to observe them doesn't mean to just kind of be a scientist standing back here, watching this torment over here. That's a little too removed. You actually have to feel what this torment feels like. You have to experience it kind of, I will not say kinesthetically or you kind of embody it somehow. You have to get intimate with this feeling of this torment. Because if it's just up in your head some idea about, oh, this is anger, this is impatience, this is fear, the body is doing its own thing and we need to get in touch with that. So, to feel our way into these states of mind is what it means to be aware of, to be mindfully aware of and observe these states of mind. To feel them. To recognize them, of course. But to feel them because as long as we're caught in the story about my torment, the story about why I'm angry, why I'm impatient, why I'm afraid, why I'm. the story goes on forever. You can write whole novels about that story. But if you're actually in touch with the feeling itself as it appears in the body and the mind, it's constantly changing and it doesn't last very long. Oh, yeah? What about that thought, I'm always impatient, I'm always depressed, I'm always fearful. That's just a thought. If you actually contact and feel that at the time, you'll see that there are many moments when you're not obsessed or caught in that state of mind. It may recur frequently with great intensity, but there are many, many moments, probably more moments that you're not caught in it then you are caught in it. And until we see that, until we start to break the unexamined assumption that I'm always this way, we're going to be caught in that cycle of suffering. But to the extent that we do see how impermanent, how ever-changing these states of mind are, then we begin to disentangle our sense of ourself from them. So it's not, I am an impatient person. It's like, oh, occasionally an pa- impatient arise, arises when it can be recognized, when it can be um, worked with through a willingness to feel it rather than just act it out. And this is the way that we begin to, and, and work with, work through, changing... Our views, our misunderstanding of these obstructive, tormenting states of mind. We can know, you know. We can know. I mean, we've we've heard. You know, to be angry is not to be. That's not nice. You know, to be fearful. Well, that's that's not that's not pleasant either. And yet, even though we know that, we can't stop ourselves from doing it or being caught in it. So, just having the belief that oh, being angry, being fearful, being impatient, being impetuous, being disdainful—these are not nice. These are not nice. Just having that understanding, as a as a thought, doesn't touch our behavior. We still get caught in it. So, to change, to work through this suffering, to work through this hidden assumption this unexamined assumption means that we have to spend a lot of time with it to really recognize every time that any of these torments arise in the mind, to really recognize them and to work with them. And in this way, we begin to change our wrong understanding, our misunderstanding, to a more accurate, skillful understanding where when they arise, we don't get caught in them and therefore we don't suffer. Use the appearance of these torments as an opportunity to investigate their nature. They are natural phenomena, said Tejaniya says. They are not your torment. Everyone experiences them. Do not try to avoid objects or experiences. Instead, try to avoid getting entangled in the torments of them. So it's not about moving through a very mm, uh, sh- uh, shrunken possibilities in life. It's not about cutting out all the opportunities of life that you might get angry, you might get fearful, you might get depressed, you might get anxious. It's We can't avoid them. We can't avoid all those situations. But we can work with the mind not getting entangled in these experiences that might provoke or push our buttons to react in one of these ways. As long as you are aware of these torments, you're doing well. Now, that's a confront. Mostly when we're experiencing these torments, we think we're doing poorly. But actually, Saito says, as long as you're aware of these torments, you are doing well. In order to understand these torments, you have to watch them again and again. What can you gain from just having or expecting good experiences? <laughs> yeah, what do you mean, what are you going to Yeah. If you understand the nature of these torments, they will dissolve. And once you're able to handle these torments, good experiences will naturally follow. So much of our practice really is being willing to work with these states of mind. They arise, they are persistent, and we have to be as persistent with our effort, persistent with our interest, persistent with our uh, willingness, really, to experience them in order to understand them. But like any habit, you know, if you persist in doing something, it will become a habit. And we can cultivate the good habits or the skillful habits of interest, awareness, understanding, observation, and in this way, actually put aside temporarily and eventually more permanently, the arising or the possibility of these torments arising in the mind. It takes... It takes persistence, but I'm sure many of you who have been practicing for years have seen already that the way that the torments thin out in the mind, it's not that they don't arise after a decade or two, it's that they might arise less frequently, they might arise with less fire or strength. And when they arise, they don't last as long. And in this way, we suffer much less. Even though the tendency might still be there and it still gets activated when conditions are really pretty severe, there's still a trem- tremendous lessening of suffering from our willingness to learn about that. So really, it's up to us to, to, to choose to learn to be willing to learn through not just enduring or struggling with them <coughs> but from engaging them willingly to feel them and to learn of their nature and when we know their nature then we'll be able to be less entangled in them again sada in conclusion says always remember that it is not you who removes these torments, wisdom does that job. And when you are continuously aware, wisdom unfolds naturally. So it's not up to us, really, to kind of get rid of these torments, but rather to cultivate the conditions of understanding. And when there's understanding, this wisdom will remove these torments from the mind. So let us sit for a moment and let the words quiet down.